Thanks, Dan. All right, good morning. Would you hear these words from Psalm 42 as we get started? I'll be reading from verse 1 on. It says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Go ahead and join me in Psalm 42 and your copy of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, if not, don't worry, the uh, words the rest of the way will be on the screen. Uh, my name is Matt, and I just want to say welcome. So glad that you're here, especially if you're new. I know that coming to a new place can be a little scary, especially a new church. And so if you took that step and you're, you're here worshiping with us this morning, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We've been doing this thing over the summer, this series called Rhythms, where we're looking at a different topic or habit or spiritual discipline each week that we think we should have as a part of our lives as believers. Things like prayer and reading scripture and spending time in community. What are those habits that we ought to uh, regularly move in in order for us to grow and stay connected to the Lord and be healthy and so on? And so this morning we're going to look at the next installment of this series that I'll explain exactly what the rhythm is as we go. It's something that maybe will sound new for some of us or maybe uh, we've heard it before but put in different terms. And so I'll kind of make it clear as we go. But to start, I want to share a story. My friends uh, visited Chicago recently, some of our friends from seminary, Sam and Allison. They went on a little vacation. And in Chicago, there's this thing I learned called the Sky Deck. Have you guys heard of the Sky Deck? It's terrifying. So 103 uh, floors up in this large building is this deck. That's, it's all enclosed and uh, there's a ground, you know, everything, but it's all made out of clear glass. And so it's like jetting out from the building on the 103rd floor. You can walk out, but again, you look down and it's clear glass. And so it looks like you're just looking down at the city below. Has anyone been on the sky deck? Anyone here? Okay. Yeah. So, and you walked out on it? Yeah, okay, all right, well, you're braver than I am, because here's a picture. My friend Sam is just sitting on the deck with his back up against the wall, and right, you see that picture, and I'm just like, no, 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 thank you, no, 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 not going to happen. Even looking at it right now, it gives me like sweaty palms, and my heart gets going. Some of you as well, you're like, I'm already uncomfortable enough in church, and now you show me this picture, and you start sweating, and your heart's going, and yeah, it just... It freaks me out. And so if you're like me, and, and this is stressful for you to think about, uh, think with me about this rationally a little bit. We can think about what do we know about the sky deck? We know rationally that it's, it's safe, right? You're not reading news articles about people falling through the deck and, and falling to their death. It's, it's well engineered. I mean, the people who, who built this, right, they're at a huge risk and liability. So if people were dying all the time, like, they'd be in big trouble. So no one wants anyone to get hurt on this thing. So rationally, you can think through, I, I know this is safe. And yet, 
even with all those rational facts and pieces of information, I still would say, nope, don't care, not going out there. I, I couldn't convince myself still that I should walk out on it. And it's because that information, think about it, that rational information about the sky deck has not made its way to my heart to shape my emotions and to shape my uh, behavior in such a way that I would be willing to take that step. There's a disconnect between what we know and what's rational and yet what we feel sometimes as we go about our lives. And I think the same is true spiritually. There are truths about God and about ourselves that we know to be true or we would affirm that they are true from Scripture. And yet we leave this room and we go out through the rest of our week and sometimes we forget those truths or those pieces of information don't make their way down into our hearts and actually shape our emotions and shape our lives in such a way that we'd be willing to take a step out onto the metaphorical sky deck, if you will. So, back to Psalm 42. You'll notice this tension that we've been talking about so far in the passage. Right? There's some good things and some bad things in this psalm that David is experiencing. Notice in verse 1, what does he say? He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Can you see this, this tension, this uh, good longing for God this thirst for God to be in the presence of the Lord, and yet people are mocking him, and he's, he's uh, crying. Tears have been his food all day long, he says. His emotions are disturbed. Even verse 5, which we read a little bit earlier, talks about how he's downcast, and his, his soul is disturbed within him. Okay, So there's this conflict going on within his heart. And we see this even clearer a little bit later in the psalm. We haven't read it yet, but verse 8 says, David still speaking, by day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. Awesome, beautiful words. Next verse. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Do you see the inner conflict? God, I long for you. God, your steadfast love is with me day and night. Very next verse. God, why have you forgotten me? And his tears have been his food day and night, and his soul is disturbed or cast down within him. Does that sound familiar at all? I think we can relate with this. He, he knows. He knows what's true. He knows who God is. He speaks of God's love, God's grace, God's salvation for him. And yet, and yet, God, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? His soul is downcast. In the context of this psalm, he's, he's on the run. He's being hunted down. People are out for his life. And so he's being kept from public worship. He's not able to attend uh, the temple and the, the worship uh, assembly. And this is causing him anguish. And he's crying out, essentially, I want to go to church. I like that. That's a good, that's a good sentiment. I want to worship the Lord, God. I want to be in your presence in the temple with the people of God. But he's kept from that. And so when his heart, his emotions aren't cooperating with his head and with what he knows to be true, 
how does he respond? What does he do about that? Verse 5, and the same thing is repeated at the very end of the psalm. Verse 11, it says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, what's David doing? Who's he talking to? Talking to himself, right? He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Soul, why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, my Savior and my God. He's giving his own heart a pep talk. He's preaching to himself, reminding himself of what is true about God. And that's the rhythm that we're talking about this morning, the rhythm of preaching the gospel to yourself. Preaching the gospel to yourself, to your own soul. See, David has the right information, but that information has not made its way down into his heart to shape his emotions and his experience. And so he's preaching to himself. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and so on. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And now he says, speaking about Psalm 42, this passage we've been looking at so far this morning, he says, instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he, David, in Psalm 42, starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul, he says, has been repressing him, crushing him. And so he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. Self, here's what you need to hear and remember. It's so important today because I think we, if we're honest, we all have this inner uh, self-talk, this soundtrack, this mixtape that we play in our head. We speak to ourselves and that self-talk that we hear can often be negative. It can often be untrue. We hear things from ourselves like, you're a phony People are going to realize the truth about you. The secret's going to be out. People are going to find out that you're not as this as you seem you are, that you're not as much of that as you claim to be. People are going to realize the truth about you. You're, you're worthless. Why, why aren't you as successful as that person? Why aren't you as good a parent as that person? Why aren't you as good of a son or a daughter as that person? You should be better than you are. What are you doing with your life? Look at how unsuccessful you've been and how undisciplined you are. You're not worthy of love. You should be ashamed of yourself. If people find out who you are, where you've been, the things that you've done, they're not going to let you around here anymore. God's not going to forgive you for those things. You call yourself a Christian, look at how you're, you're living. I'm sure you could add some phrases of your own that you hear in your own mind about yourself, from yourself. And so what do we do in those moments? We hear accusation after accusation against ourselves, from ourselves. 
we preach the gospel to ourselves. Like David in verse 5 and in verse 11. We preach to ourselves. We say, self, heart, listen up. There are some things that you need to know. I don't recommend necessarily doing this out loud, yelling in a Starbucks, talking to yourself. That could get a little strange, and people might not understand. If I'm, Matt, Matt, listen up. You need to hear this. People might be a little concerned about you, and yet we need to do this. Maybe in the quietness of our own heart and mind, we need to practice preaching the gospel to ourselves. Now, if you're here this morning, and this sounds a little weird or a little concerning, like what is this, just some like pop psychology stuff the pastor's bringing at us, like Matt's gone off the rails. Um, A word about that. First, again, we notice David doing this, okay? Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11. We see David preaching to his own heart. So I'm, I'm not just like making this concept up. We see this in, in Scripture. David is reminding himself of what is true about God and about himself and his future, okay? Uh, also, this is the same idea behind why we memorize the Bible, right? Why often uh, so many of us commit certain verses of Scripture to memory. Why do we do that? It's so that they're in our minds, and so we can recall them as needed. We can uh, share them. We can speak them, even to ourselves, as we start to believe different lies or we hear different accusations or things come up in our hearts throughout the week. If we have Scripture committed to memory, we can say, actually, no, here's what's true. Actually, I'm feeling this way, but actually, here's what God says about this or that or the other thing. So it's, it's the same idea. So it's not some kind of New Age goofy thing. It's just a a, a healthy practice that Scripture models for us. And so if this is a rhythm that we're supposed to move in, preach the gospel to ourselves, we have to consider, well, then what is that message that we preach to ourselves? What are those truths that we should be reminding our own hearts about? David says, himself, you need to hope in God. And he says that God is his salvation. Reminds himself that our hope should be in the Lord and that salvation comes from God. God is his deliverer, his protector. His life is safe with the Lord. And as we move to the New Testament, we'll see that concept of salvation be uh, expanded or unpacked explained more fully some of the details of what that actually looks like. And so we could look to a number of different verses that would uh, remind us of the gospel or tell us who God is and what God has done for us. But there's just one place I want to go together this morning, and that's Romans chapter 5, because I think it so uh, clearly unpacks some of these concepts. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 5, or if you just want to read along on the screen with me, that's okay as well. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then skip into verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, a lot in these verses, a lot of uh, important words and concepts that we find throughout Scripture, but let's just talk together about a few of them. And again, remember, what is this telling us about the gospel or about what God has done for us? Verse 1 of Romans 5. Because of Jesus, it says, we have been justified. A term that means declared righteous. It's a legal term. It has the idea of us standing before God and we're justified in His presence. God declares that we are righteous. We are free of guilt and shame and condemnation. We have righteousness before Him. We stand in the right before God. And notice it says this justification, how does it come to us? Through faith. We're justified through faith. And so it's not through works, through good behavior, through the, the spiritual checklist that we turn into God on judgment day. No, we're justified through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We'll see that a bit later in the verses. This work of justification it says, has led to peace with God. That's a, a simple but really profound truth, if you think about it. When we stand before the Lord, there's peace. There's not conflict, not strife, not tension in our relationship with the Lord. We have peace with God. Powerful reality in Christ. This is true of us. Verse 8 the good news is that God has shown His love for us. We're assured of the love of God. While we were sinners, it says, we were separated from God. Christ died for us. And then verse 9, we've been justified, there's that word again, by His blood. So it's the work of Jesus, His substitutionary death on the cross, in our place, His shed blood, that has given us cleansing and righteousness and justification. Because Jesus was condemned over, handed over to death, we can be forgiven and freed and given life. And so this justification, this standing that we have before God comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. Continues, verse 10, we were God's enemies, but we were reconciled. Like that peace word we see earlier, there was conflict. We were rebels. We were running away from God. And yet, God forgave us and reconciled us back to Himself. We have been given a restored relationship with God. Not just the absence of strife or conflict. It's the, the presence of real relationship. God adopting us into His family, welcoming us home as our loving Father, and we as His loved sons and daughters. Much more could be said, but some of these concepts are really the heart of the gospel message. Look at what God has done. Look at how God has rescued us. And so notice with me first that this is a, a declaration of something that has already taken place. Jesus, here's what He has done. It's an it's a announcement of good news, right? a proclamation. Here's what God has done for you. And we talk about this almost every week. Uh, there's a difference between news and advice. 
good news is different from good advice. We know that this is true. Have you ever gotten advice when you didn't want it or didn't need it? From your husband, maybe? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sometimes men, we're, we can be bad at this, right? Or someone is sharing with us their heart or their struggles or something, and they just want, they just want good news. I love you. I'm listening. I'm here for you. It's going to be okay. And, and sometimes we jump to what? Fix-it mode. Here's some good advice. Or what you need to do really is go X, Y, Z and talk to this person and go tighten this thing up and then go make, you know, and here's some advice and go figure it out. You're welcome. But in that moment, what was needed was not necessarily or primarily good advice. It was first good news. I think the gospel is the same way. We have to remember that when we come to the Lord and we come to the scriptures, we're primarily given an an announcement, a declaration. Here's what God has done. Here's good news. And yes, there are instructions on how we live in light of that. Yes, there are teachings on obedience and how we should live and shouldn't live, of course. But the foundation, the heart of it is good news. Look at what Jesus has done for you, how God has saved you, how Jesus has done it all for his people. And so the gospel is good News And some of us would say, okay, Romans 5, justification, reconciliation, forgiveness, great. We, we affirm that in theory, right? Sounds good. Or if someone were to ask us, we would say, yeah, I agree with that, or I mentally assent to, uh, give assent to that truth or those concepts. I, I'm all in with those. That sounds great. But, again, sometimes... Our knowledge of those things has not worked its way down into our hearts. We know it in our head, but it hasn't really shaped our hearts and our emotions in our lives. One author put it this way. He said, most of our problems arise not because we need new truth that we do not yet have, although sometimes that's the case, but because we need truths we already know pushed down into the everyday realities of our lives. We need to feel in our hearts the truth we already know in our heads. We can be so forgetful, can't we? This is why we can be in church for so long and know the right answers, and know the, the facts of faith, and yet we haven't fully experienced them in our lives, God's grace really shaping us. And so, this is where the rhythm of preaching the gospel to ourselves comes in like David did in Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11, talking to ourselves, reminding ourselves, hey, here's what is true. Hey, self, hey, soul, hey, Matt, here's what you need to remember. I want to give a few examples of how this could come into play. This really, there's an unlimited amount of applications to this concept, how the gospel ought to shape our lives and our relationships and our our work and all, all kinds of Things, but I just want to talk about a few today. And the first one of those is we need to remind ourselves of what is true about God. What does the gospel tell us about God? Because I think many of us walk around today in this kind of perpetual state of God is mad at me, or God is not going to forgive me, or God doesn't love me, or I'm I'm under judgment, I'm under condemnation, even if we put our trust in Christ, and even if we say, I know God has forgiven me, I know that it's true, sometimes we still walk around with the feeling that we are under judgment. 
And that God does not look on us with, with love and grace as a loving Father. And we hear that voice inside of us accusing us, telling us lies about God. God doesn't love you. God won't forgive you. God doesn't welcome you. And so we're in that place. When we're in that place, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and say, listen up, heart. Those are lies you're believing. Those aren't true because look at Romans 5, verse 1. You have peace with God. Romans 5, 8. God showed his love for you in the work of Jesus on the cross. Romans 5, 11, You have received reconciliation with God. You have a restored relationship with God. You have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Your relationship has been restored. You're adopted into his family. You're welcomed home. There's this woman I was preparing uh, for baptism in Colorado years ago. We were talking about what baptism is and why it's important and what it symbolizes. And I just remember throughout the process, she kept like asking, like, are you sure? Like, are you sure I'm forgiven? Are you sure God loves me? Are you sure God welcomes me? Are you sure that's really what this thing is about and, and, and what I can have through Jesus? Yes. Over and over again, yes, it's true. Yes, this is what the Bible tells us is true. I remember being so grateful for that conversation with her because it, it just highlighted for me the fact that so many of us sit in that place. And I was so appreciative that she was willing to voice it. Because, are you sure? Because I, I don't always feel that. I don't, I don't always know if I believe that that is true. I think so many of us carry that around. Like, are you sure? Like, really? Am I really forgiven? Does God really love me? Am I really welcomed home? The answer is yes. If what the scriptures say is true, then yes. Over and over again, yes. And so we need to preach that to ourselves, right? When we're tempted to believe lies about God, preach that message to yourself. Peace with God. Reconciliation. Justification through the work of Jesus. We also need to remind ourselves what is true about ourselves. Not just what is true about God and how he looks at us, but what is ultimately true about who we are. Because I think, again, we often walk around with this sense of insecurity, uh, this feeling that we're not worthy to receive love, not worthy of grace, not worthy of forgiveness, not worthy of belonging. We have this uh, pressing need to prove ourselves to show others how great and successful and uh, whatever we are. Especially because of our past, we carry around wounds with us, especially if we have abuse in our past. Uh, or we've been told all kinds of lies about ourselves or blamed for all kinds of things. We carry around this great sense of uh, unworthiness. God wouldn't really love me, so I have to go prove myself to him or to other people. And some of you, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, that's not me. I'm, I'm confident in myself. Some, maybe other people wrestle with that, but I'm confident. In fact, I'm, I'm too confident. That's, that's the problem. I'm, I'm proud, and I have this ego thing going on, and, and so that's, this doesn't really apply to me. But I urge you to consider that maybe there's more going on in your heart than you realize. Someone once said that boasting is always an advertisement of poverty. When we act big, it's a sign that we actually feel small. 
I think for all of us, whether we, it manifests as us being shy and timid and unconfident or we're overconfident and, and loud and boastful, either way, it shows that we have this insecurity within our souls. We're longing for validation and someone to see us and recognize us and love us. The great theologian Madonna once said, I know, you probably didn't think you were going to hear Madonna in church this morning, but you are, here we are. She said this once, she said, my drive in life, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. It's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that my struggles never ended, and it probably never will. Struggles never ended, and it probably never will. Here's Madonna, one of the most famous names that we know. Just this one word name you can throw out. People, oh yeah, yeah, we know who you're talking about. Wealthy beyond measure. Successful beyond measure. And yet she's saying, I constantly still feel this need to prove myself. Prove myself. Prove myself. I can't quite rest. My struggle with feeling worthy has never ended, has not ended, and it probably never will. Wow. So appreciate her honesty. Because again, I think that's, that's where we sit so often. This unsettled heart, we're no different from her. We all want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want to be loved. So we get discouraged and and depressed and, and often think that we're, we're worthless. And I, I can really relate with this part of the gospel because uh, so much of my story has been feeling just insecure about a number of things and wanting to be noticed and wanting to be successful and wanting to be validated and wanting people to, to look at me a certain way. So I've had to constantly remind myself of what is true about myself, that, that my identity my security, my worth does not come from my achievement or my success or my popularity or anything like that. It comes from where? From God and Him alone. His love for me. And so we have to preach the gospel. I have to preach the gospel to myself. Say, self, listen up. Matt, you need to remember this truth. You are justified through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. You're not justified by your works, by your popularity, by your achievements. You're justified, righteous before God through faith. It's a gift. He's already given it to you. Nothing to prove, no one to impress other than the Lord and walking in His ways. So when we feel empty like this, preach to yourself. You're loved by God. Your identity is secure in Him. You're forgiven of your sins. You're part of the family of God. Not, and again, don't misunderstand me. This is not like a, hey, sin isn't that big of a deal, or you're not really that bad, or in fact, you're awesome. You're better than you think you are. It's just uh, finding our identity in the truths that God has given us in Scripture. His love for us, not in ourselves, in our own greatness, but because God has has spoken that about us, that we value to Him. And He showed us that we matter to Him through the cross and the gospel. Pastor Scott Sauls put it this way. He said, The love of God, when taken hold of, frees us from any need to be noticed, any need to make a name for ourselves, 
It finds significance through achievement and advancement or from leading and influencing others because we already have these blessings in infinite supply from the Father who is not blind to our value but who sees us and loves us just the same. Isn't that a liberating truth that God sees us, He knows our sin and our weaknesses and our failures and He he fully knows us more than we know ourselves and He fully loves us and welcomes us home and forgives us. What an amazing truth. So the gospel reminds us what is true about God, it reminds us what is true about ourselves and it also reminds us what is true about the future. Future, we often... Uh, leave these doors on a Sunday, and again, we're quickly hit with the stresses and fears of life, the worries that we carry around with us, the burdens of financial situations or health situations or death or, or loss in our lives. It's so easy for us to get afraid, to feel threatened, to feel scared about what our future holds and our well-being there. What does the gospel have to say to us about our future? Don't you know? You have peace with God. You're reconciled to God. That's something that begins now. Has eternal implications. Given eternal life. Secure in the hands of God. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom of justice and peace. His glory will cover the earth. And we know the king. We have a part in a place in his kingdom that is coming. So we can tell our hearts, listen up, your hope doesn't come in your comforts here or the stability of your finances right now or the the health that you enjoy. Now your hope is in the Lord, no matter the circumstances, right? No matter what comes, you can trust in him. He's already shown you that he's for you, that he loves you. He's rescued you from sin and death, brought you into his family, justified you by the work of Christ, given you eternal life and His Spirit within you, new life forever, what do we have to worry about? And I don't say that as, as, a, as a glib, kind of easy, trite truth, but really if we, if we drill down to the reality of eternal life and God's kingdom that is coming that we are a part of, our hope is in Him, not just now, but forever. And so truly, our, our eternity and our future is secure. What can separate us from the love of God? So do you see that through the gospel, we can look ahead and see that, okay, we might not have control of our circumstances and exactly what happens to us, but we know the one who is in control. And our lives are secure in his hands. So this, uh, as you've heard this morning, okay, The gospel tells us what is true about God and what is true about ourselves and what is true about our future. There's been a lot of personal talk, right? What this means for me and God and my heart and what God thinks about me and so on. Those things are true. But it also, do you see, has implications for our life as a community. If we're a community shaped by the gospel, the implications of, of the gospel are bigger than just me and Jesus. It's about how we share life together allows us to truly be humble before our brothers and sisters, to be seen and known, flaws and all, because we know that we're no better or worse than the person next to us. We need grace just like the person next to us needs the grace of God and the cross of Christ. So it frees us from competition, frees us from 
constantly measuring ourselves against our brothers and sisters and who's more this or who's more that. It frees us from that game. The gospel allows us to forgive others, right? When we've been wronged, we've been sinned against, we can forgive others because God forgave us. And His love in our heart allows us to forgive. It allows us to love and serve and really sacrifice ourselves for the good of other people because we have been so loved. And so when we preach the gospel to ourselves, again, it's not just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me, me and Jesus. It's, it's me and Jesus, yes, but then what does that mean then for this community of faith and how we love one another? And how we love people who are different from us. How we love people who aren't a part of this church, who are in our community, who, who frankly don't care at all about Jesus and want nothing to do with this God that we talk about. Can we still love and serve them? Can we still sacrifice our lives for their good? And show radical love the way Jesus did. Maybe you've seen the image already for this Sunday, for this rhythm, preaching the gospel to yourself, and it's a stack of sticky notes and pens. You're like, that's kind of weird. How does that fit in? What do we do with sticky notes? Just stick them places, right? We write stuff on them, and we stick them on our mirror, or on our desk, or on our computer, or on our a car dashboard or somewhere else. And the idea is that we use a sticky note to what? Remind ourselves of certain things that are true, right? Remember this. Remember this. Maybe it's a task a lot of the time, but we can use sticky notes to remind ourselves what is true about God, what's true about ourselves, and what's true about our future. We can preach the gospel to ourselves. And so I think uh, as an application, when you go home today, I'd encourage you to write out one of these verses we've talked about this morning on a sticky note or a 3 by 5 card or a church bulletin that you're taking with you or whatever it might be. Romans 5.1, justified. We have peace with God. Romans 5.8, that talks about the love of God. We're reconciled to God. One of those truths or a scripture that we haven't mentioned this morning but, but applies. And write it down and put it somewhere that you'll see it so you can preach the gospel to yourself. And so when you start to doubt or when the lies come in about you or about God, you can speak to yourself and preach to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. And Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, what you have done, Jesus, to forgive us rescue us, redeem us through your death on the cross and your resurrection. And our hope is in you, Lord. We've talked a lot this morning about us and how you think about us, and it's comforting and encouraging. And ultimately, Lord, it's all about you, though, and what you have done. We live for your glory, to share your love and to make much of you. So, Lord, we pray that you would send us out here confident in the promises of the gospel confident in who you say we are. Help us, Lord, to preach this message, to remember the hope of the gospel and preach it to ourselves as we leave today and go out into our week. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.